0: You're listening to Vincenzo Landino on the Brand Boost Podcast, powered by Zoom. Welcome back to the show. This is Vincenzo Landino. Today, I am in Los Angeles, California, the city of angels. Joining me is an angel, Coco Sexton. <laughs> that's, one, that's
1: one great entry. Uh, and uh, I would say that LA is more the city of traffic than it is of uh, angels at this point.
0: My man, it is the worst traffic I've ever seen in my life. It is like I don't even understand where it comes from because like there's plenty of lanes on the road. The freeways have plenty of lanes, but there's people don't move. And and (laughs) I thought I thought Connecticut, New York was was bad enough. Um, This is like a whole other world out here. It is. It is just it's like a parking lot. Every time. I, I can't imagine something happening, like a natural disaster occurring. Uh, you know, it, it's funny that I'm even saying this, but last night I went to a comedy show, and um, it was Joe Rogan, Norm MacDonald, uh, Burt Kreischer, Mark Maron, and... Um, i forget i forget which comedian it was but he made a comment like hey if there was a if there was the apocalypse in los angeles like anything disastrous in los angeles people would just stay home and die instead of actually leave because they couldn't they wouldn't get a chance to actually leave to get away (laughs) that's how bad traffic is in la and i'm like yeah 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 um it's it sucks man It, it sucks but it's a cool city it's a cool city i'm enjoying it i love the california vibe out here um I feel like I feel like we're on the same time zone recording this right now.
1: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. As we were kind of planning this out, that uh, you're actually going to be in LA for it.
0: Um, so for the, for the rest of you listening to this, this is actually the second time we're recording this. Uh, I lost the first episode. <laughs> the first time we recorded this, that's his nice way of saying that the
1: first one really sucked. So we had to make it up.
0: Uh, you said it, not me.
1: <laughs> I wasn't saying that I sucked.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. So uh, here's uh here's what we're going to, we're going to do. I want to talk a little bit to you about your days at LinkedIn, a little bit about your journey over the course of time. Uh, now you're out on your own social selling labs. Congratulations. I know it's been like two months, I think officially, right? Yeah. Two months, somewhere yeah, on there. Um, but this episode is brought to us by or brought to you by Spera. Uh, Spera is a platform that provides everything from invoicing to payments, and you can get your free 30-day trial by going over to brandboostcast.com forward slash freedom. Uh, this is part of the freedom economy series, uh, last episode or the first episode of the freedom economy series. You heard Amy Schmidauer talk about how she left her job and, uh, went into, uh, working on her own and, And how she has uh, was fueled by freedom, the freedom uh, of, you know, working for herself and the the freedom that working for yourself brings. And so we're going to jump into talking to Coca Sexton a little bit about that as well. Let's do this. Let's start off with a question and then we'll uh, we'll see where it takes us. But Coca, you were at LinkedIn for how long? Uh, three and a half years okay so three and a half years over at LinkedIn and uh, and now you are out on your own tell me this what was it about LinkedIn that attracted you to working there
1: <laughs> that's, I don't know if it's a loaded question or not um, I think you know, it
0: is loaded you can answer any way you want yeah
1: the uh, what initially drew me to LinkedIn obviously it was the fact that they were the largest professional social network. And my background has always been in B2B sales uh, and B2B marketing. Uh, so having the opportunity to work at a company like LinkedIn was an immediate draw. Uh, you know, Outside of that, I think the one thing that really clinched it during the, I guess, the recruitment phase, uh, even before I was going into interviews, was they had basically shown me the access to the LinkedIn ecosystem that I would have the ability to play around in as, you know, that as a social marketing manager for the company. And when I saw the ability or the opportunity to be able to connect with hundreds of millions of of professionals um, across the LinkedIn social network, uh, I was immediately, uh, I was done. I was ready to sign whatever it was that they were going to
0: put in front of my face. And, and, LinkedIn, LinkedIn does something that I think, think a lot, lot of companies don't, don't do or haven't understood, understood. Uh, what to do. And that's, and I, you know, because you and I have talked about it, I kind of, uh, I've heard this before. So they allow, they kind of ask you, what are your next steps, right? Yeah, so so tell you- us a little bit more about that and... and and you know, explain that exactly with them. I don't even know if there's an official like name for it, but tell us a little bit about that um, and how that works.
1: Yeah. So it, there's an official name for it. It's uh, ingrained into the company. So, you know, when you you always hear about go to work for companies that have great cultures, uh, you know, but the reality is that, you know, when you ask somebody in the executive team or somebody like, what is the culture? Most people say, Oh, it's fun. It's, it's, you know, Interesting, you know, I'm around smart people, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not really culture. That's just kind of the work environment. Whereas at LinkedIn, it's very clearly defined that it is a culture of transformation, and their goal for all of their employees, people who work there, are is to transform them in any number of ways, and you know, transformation, you know, going from from one aspect into a whole, a whole different you know embodiment of yourself. Um, you know, it takes, it, it, there's a bunch of different ways of slicing that pie, so to speak. For me, what that meant was, you know, my, the progression that I took within the company. And so inside of a culture of transformation, the one thing that the company really touts is, some, is a, is another ideology called next play. And next play is something that I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up because I, I, I never get it right because I'm not a sports person, but it came from a basketball coach and there's a basketball coach, I want to say he's in the Midwest at college, and what he was always doing was yelling at his team uh, as they were playing their game, next play, next play, and it didn't matter if they had just made, you know, sunk a three, a, a three float to a three pointer to something, you know, that they missed, whatever it was, whatever play had, had gone right or wrong within that, uh, that section, the coach was always yelling out this next play.
0: Yeah. That, and that, by the way, that's quote, Co- that's Mike Shashevsky from Duke. That's it. Um, yes. Yeah. He, he was the one that was known for, for always next play, next play, next play. So, all right, go ahead. <laughs> that's, that one of us is into
1: sports. Uh, <laughs> so this idea of next play, like if you take it into a business context, it's extremely empowering and extremely powerful. Uh, and, you know, the, my story was that, you know, I had been, I had gotten hired, and I was working, I was one of the first four or five marketing people in the sales solutions group. It was a brand new division at that point. And my very first one-on-one, you know, within a week of working at the company, I sat down with my manager. And I think it was, it, if it wasn't the first question, it was immediately following that. The second question was, what do you want to do next? And as an employee, somebody who was already enamored and awestruck by this ability to work for this company called LinkedIn it kind of threw me off because what, what is next? Like I was thinking to myself, Hey, I just got here. Like I haven't even figured out, you know, what my insurance plan looks like, let alone how to log into my computer on a consistent basis. And I'm <laughs> asking, What do I want to do next? And as I kind of dug into it and that kind of got unpacked for me, I realized how this was going to shape the rest of my career. And, you know, the idea at LinkedIn is that whenever you start a role, you should always be thinking about what is that next step? If you are an individual contributor do you want to become a manager do you want to become a people leader You're like whatever that is um, in, a, in a marketing role for example you know you, you may start off as a, a marketing associate then a marketing manager then a senior manager then a director you know there's a progression and it's, and it's fairly linear in most in most career paths but at LinkedIn they took a different approach because of this concept of next play and transformation being a big part of it was what if I was a marketing associate and then I became a marketing manager. And somewhere along those lines, I realized, you know what? I really just love graphic design, or I really loved web development. You were encouraged as an employee to go meet the teams that handled those different responsibilities. And you had open opportunities, if there was open headcount, to actually go work for these groups. And you know, that was something that was profound to me, that they actually encouraged people to move around in the company. And again, even those are tangential. I mean, there were there are cases where people went from being an inside sales manager to going into something like you know graphic design or something along those lines, like totally separate you know skill sets. Just because they had this passion inside of them to do something else, they had this creative piece of them, um, and you were encouraged to go off and do these things. So that is what how they define transformation. Mm-hmm. but that also extends outside of the the company. You know, they also want to set you up for success in whatever that next play is. And that could be leaving the company and doing something totally separate, like starting your own business. Um, uh, and as a company that empowers their employees to do those things, they stand out among every company I've ever worked at. And I've worked at too many that I ever want to count.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's amazing. And I think that the next play philosophy, um, you know it works in basketball and in life and it's funny because you said you mentioned the three-pointer and all that stuff but here's how coach k actually explains the next play philosophy he says in basketball and in life i've always maintained the philosophy of next play essentially what it means is that you have done um what it means is that you what you have just done is not nearly important as important as As what you are doing right now. The next play philosophy emphasizes the fact that the most important play of the game or life moment on which you should always focus is the next one. It's not about the turnover you committed, it's not even about the three pointer you hit to tie the game, it's about what's next. To waste time lamenting a mistake or celebrating success is distracting and can leave you and your team unprepared for what you are about to face. And by the way, that's I think is very, very important. It robs you of the ability to do do your best at that moment and to give your full concentration. And um, and then he goes on to say about why he loves basketball and whatnot. But. What I love the most about that and what you just said is that it leaves your team unprepared for what you're about to face. If LinkedIn didn't know that Coca-Sexton's goal or his next play, his next step was, I want to go out on my own, they would be kind of left high and dry, right? At some point, they'd say, oh, man, we just lost an incredible employee, what do we do now? We've got no idea. We were blindsided by this, right? Isn't that something you've heard before? Because, I mean, I know I've heard it in some of the companies I've been in and around. It's like, oh, we were totally blindsided by this. We had no idea.
1: No, I think it kind of hits the nail on the head. I mean, the idea that you have open, honest, and constructive conversations with your management team um, is, is it, sadly not commonplace. I mean, they, most companies say it, but at the end of the day, they don't foster it. And at the company, you're encouraged and, you know, it's, it's not frowned upon. It's, it's, as I said, you're empowered to actually have those open, open conversations with your manager about whatever it is that you want to do next. And for me, you know, being, you know, going back through my, through my career progression, like that type of opportunity had never displayed itself to me. It was totally self-driven and then being put into this environment where, I didn't just have the drive myself, but I had the resources of the company around me to support that drive. Whatever that was that I wanted to do next, that propelled me. And going from an, ins, you know, a, a, a social marketing manager for a business unit, and over the span of three and a half years, becoming the head of social media for all of LinkedIn globally. You know, that idea of next play is what drove me in that entire, you know, that entire, you know, progress. Was that. No matter what I was doing, I knew that at some point I wanted that role, and I did whatever it took. And well, I mean, within reason, of course. <laughs> it was—it's not cutthroat at the company, but you know, it's—it's it's very data-driven and it's very you know results-focused. And I saw what those opportunities were, and I took them. And I took some some pretty lofty risks in certain points in that three and a half year span. And what that allowed me to do was to identify what it was I wanted to do you know, ultimately at the company, um, mm-hmm. that's what I was doing. Uh
0: so let's fast forward a little bit into what you're doing now, social selling labs. Uh, what, first of all, when did you realize that you, that's what you wanted to do? <laughs>
1: um, probably about a year and a half to two years after everybody else thought I should have done it. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea of running my own company has been something that, uh, I think I've had since I was a teenager. Um, In many, in in some different variation, if it wasn't, you know, running some side hustle, selling something, or, you know, finding some way to, uh, you know, to to turn something around and make a few bucks off of it. Um, You know, I think there's always been that part of me that has wanted to run my own show. And the idea that I could leverage the skill set that I had obtained, you know, at LinkedIn and, and prior in a way that could make me financially independent in many ways, uh, being tied to a company, uh, was something that always rested in the back of my head. Um, and it wasn't until probably this time last year when I f- woke up and said, I think I, I, I should be doing this. And you know, over the past 12 months, um, it was really what has a lot of this stuff be- started unfolding. So it wasn't it that I built the company um, actually created a company out of it. I want to say at the very beginning of this year with the idea that I had some clients, I had some businesses that were actually willing to pay me to, to do business with them. Um, and leveraging this idea within the company of doing, you know, you know, my side projects and and empowering me to figure out this next play. Again, I just kept taking those risks.
0: Do you credit the risks for, you know, ultimately, being able to make the jump, I mean, you were juggling essentially two different roles, your role at linkedin and and then handling things on the side. Now, thankfully, a company like LinkedIn allows you to do that, right? Um, they're allowing you to to do now now, I want to make this clear that. A lot of people ask me this question, so feel free to jump in at some point, too. But a lot of people ask me all the time, like, well, how do you juggle a side hustle with your regular job? And, you know, and the biggest thing I say to them is, well, you have to work double, you know, double time. You, you If that's what you're trying to do or anybody that's trying to jump out onto their own, there's no way of being able to, well, I'm going to let my nine to five suffer so that I can go and handle clients because at that point, then you should just leave. It's, you're not doing any justice to yourself. You're not doing any justice to your employer. And, and I'm sure that at LinkedIn, you weren't sitting around all day taking selfies and saying like, I'm doing my job. This is my job. I'm getting paid to take (laughs) selfies in the lunchroom. And meanwhile, you know, handling clients when you get home or, or during work hours, and LinkedIn is because I mean, I'm sure that's not they're not going to empower you to make that next play.
1: If <laughs> Those, that's that next play would be out the door. <laughs> they, they would empower you for that. I guarantee it.
0: they would, yeah, they'd empower you to next play out. Yeah. That's fantastic. But I mean, that's a question I get all the time. You know, people are always asking, you know, how does how do you do that? How do you do this? And, and so, um, I would say it takes double the effort. I mean, and I love, I want you to give your experience of how you were doing it, how you were handling it right up until, you know, that last day of yours at LinkedIn. Um, but for me in, in positions that I had where, you know, I was handling a side hustle, that I had to work double as hard, double, triple time. I mean, I was leaving the office, driving home, having dinner, or not even, and, and going to meet a client that I was handling on the side, or working on the weekends and work you know, putting in another 20 hours on the weekend. And people are like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. And it's like, well, if you want it bad enough, that's what you're going to do. And and if if you're going to complain about your job and you're not going to do anything about it or you're going to complain about putting in the extra time, then it's probably not cut out for you, right? So what what did your days look like? If you can give us kind of one of those day in the life of Coca-Sexton while you're at LinkedIn and you're still managing some side hustle and, and you've got a client or two or three or however many that you're handling on the side, what, what does a day look like? So like we can give the listeners a little understanding of what they would be jumping into.
1: Yeah, so I, I think you touch on a couple different things. Well, I'm going to answer your question also. Is that when somebody says, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're spending all this time doing this." Like you're, you're like that's crazy. What I say to them is that one, you don't want it bad enough, and and I think you touched on this a little bit. Also, is stop your complaining, right? Like we hear people bitching all the time about the things that they wish they had or uh, could do, and the reality is, is that everybody has a finite amount of time in this life. Well, I mean, give or take a few years right? when you're actually going to croak. Of course. But it, there's only a certain amount of time in a day, in a week, in a month. And how you choose to use that time is a direct reflection of, in many cases, the success you're going to have. Now, activity doesn't always equal success. right? You have to be right. smart. You have to, you have to do the things that are actually going to move the needle. And that's where a lot of people get it wrong. They say, I'm Mm. doing a million things, but nothing's working. Well, then you're doing something wrong and you need to analyze that. You know, my side hustle, the the things that I've been doing have been in the works for years. It started off, you know, a decade plus ago when I was in sales. And my side hustle was learning how to leverage social media. My job was to cold call and, you know, smile and dial all day. My side Mm. hustle was figuring out how to leverage social media to actually fill my pipeline. When I moved into marketing, my job was to generate leads, was to engage our customers, was to run events. My side hustle was how do we continue to build on this momentum of social selling, as it was being called at that point, to becoming something more mainstream. Uh, you know the idea of when I came to LinkedIn, it actually became my job to act, to to further that information around what social selling was becoming. But my job again was to generate leads. Like there were hard metrics to what my job needed in order for the the company to be successful, for the company to feel like you know there was a benefit to having me as an employee. My side hustle was everything else on the side. It was you know it was. Writing a blog post. It was, you know, keeping up on social media, learning the trends, doing these other things that didn't necessarily impact what I was doing as a job, but I knew the skill set and the information that I was obtaining in that process was going to help me in the future. Uh, you know, and I think that most professionals are already doing many of these things. They're not doing it systematically or programmatically, um, but they're doing it and they're trying to, you know, be successful in that process. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have any illusion that they're all employees are wanting to go off and do their own thing, but all employees have some type of side hustle and it's the entrepreneurial spirit or the people who say, this isn't the job I'm going to ultimately want. I want something bigger. Um, is it, if it's on their own or within a bigger company, it takes a side hustle to get those skills to level up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And When I was at LinkedIn, what I had done was I, you know, I was extremely fortunate because of the work that had happened before that, um, to be able to be on a, on a global stage in most instances, talking about something that I was already extremely, uh, passionate about and and knowledgeable about. Um, so my side hustle as it, you know, started evolving was around, what is this going to look like if I ever went on my own and trying to understand what does the company actually look like? Is it as easy as just going down to your county clerk's office and getting a business license? Mm-hmm. Do you need to incorporate? Do you need you know legal help? do you need contracts all of those types of things like that became the side hustle was trying to understand the back office piece of a business which is something I totally had no experience in because I was always in the front.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking before before I let you go on that one, uh, speaking of uh, you know back office and whatnot, um, that is probably the biggest thing challenging a lot of entrepreneurs and freelancers out there today. And, and thanks to our friends at Spera there who are sponsoring this freelance or, um, freedom economy series here. And Coca Sexton is one of uh, the many entrepreneurs that you'll hear from uh, over the course of of the series. But Spera is empowering freelancers, empowering entrepreneurs. Um to to, you know, handle project management, handle invoicing, handle payment processing. I mean, those are the things that you probably never had to think about, Cocoa, right? I mean
1: Yeah. I just would get an order form and I'd send an email off to somebody.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, so Spara is, is, um, is that platform they are helping you, uh, handle all, all of the things that you'd never had to worry about. And, uh, as an independent worker, now you have these resources, thanks to Spara. And I want you guys to check out Spara, uh, free 30 day trial by heading over to brandboostcast.com forward slash freedom. Um, and it's, it's, just working that in there because Coca, you mentioned about, uh, y- y- you know, you mentioned that. So uh, continue. I, I want to keep hearing hearing that, but it's it's interesting because that's one thing that a lot of us don't think about, right? It's that is one of the things most people say when they leave. Oh my god, I have to collect money from people. Oh, I have to. <laughs> Hopefully, least- that's the goal, right? <laughs> well, I mean, but it, yes. But it's very interesting when you're not getting that direct deposit anymore at the end of every week and you have to physically put together an invoice, you have to send your W9 out to the client, you need to collect the money. And then, of course, the clients might have a net 30 or a net 60, you never know, net 45, whatever it may be. And you're not getting your money for six to eight weeks at a time. So, uh, I think that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, for me, thankfully I came from a line of entrepreneurs. My, my, um, you know, my family, I have my father, my uncles, um, a lot of entrepreneurs. So for me, I understood that going into it. I knew that there was, Hey, what's that? Um, so my uncle owns a, um, he owns beauty schools and he owns beauty salons. Uh, my father is a contractor, electrical contractor, so it was always the and he works mainly with industrial commercial clients. So for them, it's always a, okay, you send us an invoice. We're not paying you in for forty five days. I mean, that was their that was the way they ran things. so, I got used to that very early on with my dad and understanding how that worked. Um, I would say working with my dad at a young age, you know, like 13 years old, I'd tag along with him on job sites. But I always watched him read blueprints and price jobs and invoice. And I mean, it's not fun stuff. All you see is like, you know, as a kid, I'd see my dad up on a fork on a scissor lift, you know, installing some crazy, uh, parking lot light or something, I don't know, you know, whatever it may have been. I'm thinking about that. Cause I remember a time that I, <laughs> he gave me the paid, the pager. He used to have a beeper there for his clients. And I, I, mean, I had it on me cause I wanted to hold it so bad. And his, one of his clients had a really big emergency and I never, I never heard it. I never felt it. Right, so I didn't tell my dad and he's up on a lift, like 30, 40 feet up in the air. <laughs> and we get down and he grabs the, the the pager from me and he goes, you didn't tell me. And he had like five, nine, one, one emergency calls from the client. And luckily they stuck with him, but it's just funny because I think about all these things now and I'm like, wow, there's a lot more to running. You know, like he didn't have a secretary. He didn't have someone to take the call. He had a pager. He, he didn't have a, you know, at the time there was no cell phone. Um, you know, at the time of doing that. And so like you think about all this stuff and you're just like, wow, there's so much that goes into owning a business. Um, and, and being from contractors and and having contractors in my family, I knew about not getting paid and had knocking down doors to, or not knocking down doors, but knocking on doors to get your payments, calling customers constantly to get paid. Um, that's something that like, You'd never think about, you know, I have I get when I was working and you were working at LinkedIn, so you know, I mean, like at the end of the week, get your paid direct deposit. You don't even have to go to the bank anymore. It's, no. just, it's there. It shows up magically. You could start writing checks against it the next day or going to the ATM. So um yeah, that 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 was I, I know that plagues a lot of people,
1: yeah, and I think that the 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 best thing, I mean, in depending on where you are in this initial journey. Uh, you know, you're going to have to do some of this legwork work on your own, but you know, the best advice I got, um, you know, from, from, you know, mentors and, and people that, that I trust, as well as from reading books from people who have been extremely successful after starting their own businesses was this, you know, know what you want to do and focus on only doing that. All the other stuff, you need to find somebody else to manage that because there are people out there who love doing accounting. It's not me.
0: Yeah, not me. Right. No. But there are
1: people who actually enjoy that type of work, and they're out there, right? They, you know, it's either through an online service, uh, you know, or it's you know, an individual that is in this freelance economy. Um, but there are other people who enjoy doing this stuff. And you have to get to a point where you are focusing on exactly what it is that you want to do and what's going to move the business forward and not worrying so much or not spending as much energy. On the other things, you still have to be aware of it. You can't just blindly hand the stuff over to somebody. You have to have a working knowledge of what it is. Right. Um, but you know, spending your time—if if the idea of the time being money, you should be spending that on the things that are going to grow your company.
0: Yeah, it, that's a that's a difficult concept for a lot a lot of us. Even even me. Um, I don't know about you. And, and you can let me know if you, if you feel this way, but sometimes I just feel like I need to do everything because I do it better than somebody else, right? Like, Oh, I, I just need to handle that client call or I need to handle that, uh, invoicing or that billing collection of payments because you don't know how to do it.
1: Yeah. And you know, you need to let that go. That's a, right. Well, that's some, some of that's a lot of ego and some mm-hmm. of it's fear. And yeah. both of those are bad emotions, right? They're, They're both terrible. negative. Anyway, you slice it. Ego only gets you so far, but it in nine times out of 10, it gets you in trouble. Um, Fear is never any way to operate. Um, You have to have trust and trust is built over time. So there, there needs to be some type of plan in place where you start handing these things off um, more actively. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're right. In many cases, most people feel like if it's going to get done, right, I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, that's why they're being successful already. Right. They, people found something that they're able to do better than anyone else. And that's why they started their own companies. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, they're not great at all things and there's no way they can diversify themselves to be great in all things. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I say that, you know, you have to do certain things, but you have to be willing to let go of the things that aren't going to actually be building your company.
0: Yeah. It, you know, letting go of, or not, I think control is the biggest fear. Um, for, for many people or, or letting go of that control is one of the biggest fears. And, um, you know, for anybody out there that's looking to, to, to leave their job, that's looking to, uh, go out and start a company, go out and, you know, do even just do freelancing. Yeah. But I mean, know, you think about that, right? Like it's a, that's a
1: flawed statement because you look at people like Warren Buffett or mm-hmm. Tim Cook, or you name the, the CEO, like, yep. They are extremely powerful. They have a lot of control of, of a lot more things than the, the general public should probably you know, want them to. But at the end of the day, they have an entire team beneath them, you know, an organization that is running it. Um, you know, and if you want to be successful, if you want to grow outside of being a solopreneur and you actually build something, mm-hmm. you have to empower the, the people around you to make the decisions to continue that mission.
0: And there's nothing wrong with, I mean, here's the thing. There's some, there's some of us out there that are okay with kind of the freelance lifestyle, um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. For those that want to build something larger and build out a business or a brand like the one, you know, the the, the oh no, I mean, I, that's all that. I was trying to get to. But oh no, no, no! I and wow. I just want, I wanted to reiterate the point that yes, you know, it takes it takes a team. It always takes a team. I mean, you you can't get. um, it's hard to to scale right you can't scale without a team cuz like you said earlier there's only so much time in a day there's 24 hours you know we all have 24 hours in a day there's only so much you can do and you have to sleep person. for at least five and you have to sleep i i mean some sleep for a couple 2 3 but there's still only 24 hours right at the end and no matter how you slice it there's 24 hours <laughs> um I mean, and that's, and that's a challenge that I give to a
1: lot of people when, when they initially come up with this idea of, I don't have time.
0: It's, you Mm -hmm. know, let's,
1: let's, let's get a piece of paper and write one through 24 and let's block out the hours that you normally sleep. Let's block out, you know, your commute time, everything else. Let's figure out exactly how much time you have. Right. And are you maximizing that time? I've been blessed up to this point. Uh, As I get older, it gets worse, but I don't require a lot of sleep. Um, and when I was younger, that created a lot of problems because I ended up getting into a lot you know, creating a lot of mischief because I had a lot of extra time on my hands. But, uh-huh. you know, as I got older and started to realize that, Hey, I, I have the ability to do things while other people are sleeping. In most cases, um, I learned to harness that and I still do that now. You know, most of the time when my family's in bed, I got, that's an extra two hours of my day at the very end of the night where I can crank stuff out. Um, and you know, I think, you know, if somebody were really think, you know, I don't have time, they're either one doing things that aren't productive, that it's just activity. There's no, there's nothing actually happening from it, or they are not using their time correctly, right? They're, they're doing other stuff that, uh, you know, is wasting time, like sitting in front of the TV for, for five hours, watching a sports game and no offense to the sports listeners,
0: but Hey, 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 watch yourself.
1: But you you get, you you hear what I'm saying, right? Like there's this idea of you only have so many hours in a day, like, are you actually using all the hours that you have given to you? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's an important thing for people who are trying to go off on their own to figure out how much time can they actually dedicate to this? Um, and when I left and kind of, and, and off on my own, that was an exercise I had to go through. And I had to build this fancy little spreadsheet that calculated how many hours there were in a month, you know, minus, admin time and, you know, vacations that I'd want to take and all this other stuff. And it's sped out a number and said, this is realistically how many hours in a month you have to, to work inside wow. of all the other stuff. And that's how I started basing all my client engagements that, you know, if I only had 80 to a hundred hours a month, and I think anybody, you know, if you do the math, you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, that's like 126 hours. Uh, you know, I broke it down and said, okay, I've got about 90 to hundred hours a week that I can actually get work done. That's client facing and could be driving revenue. How am I going to spend that time? Um, uh, and I think that's important for anybody in this, in this space to figure out what does that rate look like? And it doesn't mean that you need to bill out at some hourly rate, so to speak, but you need to understand the time you have available to you and what that's actually worth. Because that's the, you know, you were talking about pitfalls. One of the biggest problems that I see entrepreneurs or, you know, the freelance economy having is they just don't know how to reconcile that. And they end up not getting paid enough to make ends meet because they haven't calculated that time frame correctly. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's something that... Like you said, you know, do oh, you, you have to watch that sports game or, or whatever it may be? And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with a sports game or there's nothing wrong with watching Game of Thrones. Um, hey, and I watch Game of Thrones and I love the fact that you have a dog named Khaleesi, right? Oh, of course. My my <laughs> dog is not with me right now, but... I do watch my TV um, also. <laughs> no, and there's nothing... Listen, there's nothing wrong with, with, with that. It's it, here, Here's what it comes down to. It comes down to when individuals complain there's not enough time in the day but all they do is, you know, I just binge watched on this on Netflix and I watched and I'm watching this and I'm doing that. And I'm, it's like, okay, great. But then you can't complain at that point that you don't have enough time to run a business or to start your empire. Right. Um, that's where the problem lies. It's all about it, it, goal setting, right? Like, of course, we're, we're, of course, the goal. Absolutely. And
1: what I have found Um, And 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 when I was at LinkedIn, it became it became data like it was based on research. And Mm -hmm. again, I think uh, it, it was already inherently known by by most people that the idea of a of a career builder, somebody who is actively trying to further their career growth, they are always willing to forego personal gain for professional gain. Yes. And we all know people who do this, right? Mm-hmm. People who will not go out on a Friday night because they're building their, you know, the next app or they won't go out for drinks after work because they have a bunch of side work they got to do for a client that they're working with through, you know, any number of freelance boards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the people that I've always been drawn to. And it's because they have a discipline that most professionals don't have. And if you can I understand what that methodology looks like, if you can understand what that mentality is and you want to do these things, just start emulating it. It's the it's the best thing I've ever done in my career was find the greatest people doing things and find ways to emulate that behavior. Um, and you and you see it time and time again. I mean, Vinny, you're one of them, right? Like the idea that you're off doing this on your own. You know, mm-hmm. I already know for a fact that you've emulated the people around you. And the the influencers in the space, and you know, done things like them in many cases, um, and put your own spin on it, because you see it as being successful. And I think that no matter what industry you're working in or what it is you're trying to ultimately do, there is somebody else in your place that is already doing it on some grander scale, even though it may not be in your specific ideology, but you can emulate some of those activities, knowing that there's going to be a larger output. Uh, it's success.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, my, my dad always said there's, yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't translate. Well, are you going to speak in a Diane? <laughs> no, I, I won't. Um, cause it, it doesn't. So, well, my grandmother told me one thing, my grand, my, my father told me another one. And I'm and just for the sake of what we're talking about right now. Um, he said basically that there's always someone, there's always someone better than you. There's always somebody in first place. Right. So, you have to have mentors. Like, there's nothing wrong with mentors. There's nothing wrong with looking up to individuals that are doing it. Um, I would also
1: say there is something wrong if you don't
0: have mentors,
1: right? And, and I believe that is a true statement. If you don't have people that you're looking at at to emulate, or people who are actively helping you in your growth, you're you're not you're not chasing opportunity.
0: Right? No, no, no. You have to. I mean identifying those that you can look up to identifying those that um you you can emulate is very very important and you know sometimes that selection not even sometimes i think all the time that selection is is very important um because you could pick the wrong people right and we see we see time (laughs) and time again (laughs) What's that?
1: I have picked the wrong people. The you, third, I, I think the estimate of growth is: can you identify that and move on? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The, well, that's the challenge. I don't these people, and it becomes so blind in their uh, loyalty to that methodology or that individual that they'll actually follow them off a cliff in many ways. Mm-hmm. That that's a, it's a shame, but you know it's it's their fault, and mm-hmm. they stand up and they say, "Well." You know, if so and so hadn't done X, or you know, whatever the whatever the you know the the complaint may be, that they wouldn't have you know fallen on hard times. When the reality is, it's it's always in your control.
0: You yeah. always have those decisions to make. Um, before we before we go, I want you to uh, let the listeners know tips, tricks. Um, what are your top I'm going to say three, but whatever, however many you have. I mean, what are your top tips for anyone looking to make this jump? What are your top tips for them to actually make it happen? So
1: I'm trying to put these in order. The first it's one, the order you want the first is going to seem obvious, right? I think the first, mm-hmm. first thing anybody needs to do is to make sure that their social footprint is pristine. Not perfect, just really, really pretty. Because I don't believe in perfection. Yeah. Um, Your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter profile, your Instagram feed, whatever it is, wherever it is that you are going to be communicating with your audience, those profiles need to be legit. Mm. And the reason is that when you move into step two, it all starts making sense. You have to start finding ways to engage with these people these influencers, the other ones that you want to either you know live vicariously through and, and have as virtual mentors, so to speak, mm-hmm. or the active mentors, the one that you're going to initiate some conversation with and ask for some type of advice or assistance. Because when you do that second step, they're going to look at you and they're going to do a Google search. They're going to look at your other profiles. Mm-hmm. And if you look like a joker, they're never going to speak to you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you've put in the work, to put yourself in the best light possible when you make those conversations, they're going to be more apt to respond because they're going to see it and they're going to say, oh, this guy may not have ever had a spotlight shown on him before, but he looks good. I'll take right. the 15, 20 minutes to talk to this, this person. The, you know, the, the next part is clearly identify what it is you want to do. And I think that's another issue that a lot of these freelance people run into. Like They have a general idea. And they'll take anything under the sun. And in some cases, you know, depending on what your situation is, you do have to, but you have to become very clear about what it is that you want to do. And you have to look for those opportunities because you you never want to be in the position where you're taking anything and everything thrown your way because you have to. Again, depending on your situation, there may be a period of time where you have to do that, right? Because you're trying to actually build it and trying to get yourself out there. But you should be chasing and looking for the specific opportunities that fit the the niche of the whatever that work is that you want to do and what fires you up every day because that's where your best work is going to come out of. Um, so you know, there, there's three um, right there. I, mean, I could I could rattle off these things all day long. Uh, you know, it, you know, another thing that you should be doing is as you're building out your portfolio, start collecting the case studies. Exactly what impact is it that you are performing? So it's not so much what it is that you wanna do and fires you up and kind of gets you, out, you up in the morning and throughout your day. What is it that you're actually delivering to those clients? And finding ways to collect either case studies or um, recommendations from them, or you know, you know, some way of getting the accolades of what it is that you delivered and that then starts telling a story. You know, I like to do live video broadcasts. I like to do sponsored, you know, video content for companies. And here are the other people that I emulate or the ones that I look up to. And this is the people who I'm learning from, but here's exactly what I deliver to my client. And this is what they get out of it. They get increased traffic, brand awareness. And we measure that in these three or four different ways. And when you're able to tell that story, it makes it so much easier going to the next client and saying, I want to do business with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Coca, how can, well, first of all, first of all, we didn't, we didn't talk enough about social selling labs. I, <laughs> I want, you know, before I let you go, I want you to explain to folks what social selling labs is and, um, you know. Because you mentioned you needed to know exactly what you wanted to do. What is it that you identified that you wanted to do? And then, you know, how is Social Selling Labs fulfilling that need? So,
1: you know, Social Selling Labs came around because of my background in sales and marketing. And how did those things get aligned? You know, the ultimate goal uh, of Social Selling Labs is to help businesses overlap and align sales and marketing um, activities. You know, what I love to do is I love to track data. And I love to see a sales and marketing team that are working in conjunction that is actually driving pipeline and driving revenue for the business. And if I can get into a company and I can say, here's all the stuff that marketing is producing from either content or whatever it is. And here's the stuff that sales is doing with that content. And there's, in most cases, I found there's some disconnect. So what I love to do is to, to reconnect those. And sometimes that takes change on both sides. Sometimes it takes change on one or the other side. But once those changes happen and you realign those different processes and, um, and ideas of what success really looks like, a company can become unstoppable. Like they become a powerhouse within their industry because they are delivering to the client an excess of what they're actually asking for in payment. Um, So that's what really gets me fired up. And that's what, you know, kind of brought along the idea of Social Sound Labs.
0: Well, I love what you're doing. We have to, uh, we have to collab some more. How can the listeners find you and uh, how can they hire you if they need to?
1: So uh, I'm across every social channel and I'm basically the same thing. Uh, Again, going back down to that whole conversation of professional brand, everything is Coca-Sexton. So I'm at Coca-Sexton on Twitter. I'm Coca-Sexton on LinkedIn. uh, Same thing with Instagram uh you know so you can connect me on any platform that you're most comfortable with uh you know if you if you want to reach out to me it's as easy as either sending me a tweet send me an a message through linkedin uh my website is socialsellinglabs.com you can connect with me through there um i you know i i try to lower the barriers of entry when it comes to somebody wanting to connect with me
0: yeah and i mean i love i love that you are making yourself available wherever um, the audience is you know, wherever it's comfortable for them, you are willing, you know, and, and as a business, and this is uh, this is kind of my tip for those that are uh, looking to break off and you know, start their own business, whatever it may be. You have to meet your clients, your potential clients, where they are because you, you know, especially being new and coming out of nowhere, like you know, like you said, some people come out of nowhere. They never had any spotlight. Uh, you, you can't try to just, you know, not in today's world, at least. I, I truly believe that you need to be wherever, uh, you know, wherever the audience is, wherever they're asking for you. And if you're not there, they'll find somebody else very quickly. You know, it's very easy to find somebody else that does the same thing, um, you know, at least nowadays. I mean, it regardless of how good your product is and how good you are. I live by one mantra. Uh, I actually live by a few mantras, but
1: the the one prevalent one um, that relates to this is visibility creates opportunity. Mm. And you know, if visibility creates opportunity and you think about your life, your professional life, your personal life, it has always come down to that as a universal statement. If you are, if you have a girlfriend, a wife, whatever it is, that opportunity didn't show up unless you were visible. If you weren't at that bar at that, you know, restaurant or wherever that was, you would have never met so-and-so. Yeah. The same thing happens in business. If you're not visible, if people are not aware of what you're doing and what you're capable of doing, and I'm not meaning that you have to be, you know, a a braggart about any of this stuff, but you have to be visible. What worked for me was that I was visible on social media and I found that the more visible I was by the more activity I put out there, the more value I presented through my social updates that created more opportunity, because more and more people would start becoming drawn to me. And I think that that is something that a lot of professionals, and a lot of, you know, the people in this freelance economy, they need to start becoming comfortable with. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are great with like graphic designs. Well, you know, I don't like to pick on them. But it's an, it's an easy one for me to make the analogy. You're an amazing designer. And most designers and well, I'm not gonna say that a lot of designers are introverts they're amazing when it comes to creative thought and and building things on you know, within powerpoint or you know 3d Studio, whatever it may be but they're not going to the networking events they're not doing things externally uh,
0: exactly. for,
1: for a number of different reasons there's ways to get around that i'm an introvert and most mm-hmm. people would never actually think that but i am i'm not i'm, I'm not typically known as an extrovert uh, well i guess maybe i am typically known as that but i'm not <laughs> uh, just because as you i do get up on a stage from time to time But, you know, I found that my outlet, how I became visible was by showing a ton of value within these social networks. And that created additional opportunities that have, you know, allowed me to get to where I'm at today. And, you know, if again, going back to the the advice, become visible, visibility creates opportunity, um, and it doesn't take a a whole lot of time, you know, it takes a little bit of effort, it does take work, um, which is something that most people don't ever want to do, but it does take work. Um, but it does pay out. It's one of those activities that actually has a benefit and a success rate to it.
0: Well, my uh, my grand—I will bring some Italian to the show now. My grandmother used to tell me this all the time: "Quello che que non fai nessuno so sa." And it basically, it, what it translates to is, "What you don't do, nobody will know." <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> so exact you know, exactly what you're saying right here. Um, without putting yourself out there, without making yourself visible, without. Uh, putting a face to the name, especially in this digital world where everyone is a little av- avatar and a Twitter handle or, you know, Instagram handle or a Snapchat, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, you need to be out there. You need to get your face out there. You need to get your voice out there. It's one reason why I love podcasting. It's a way of putting myself out there. Live video gets my face out there, but there's nothing. We there's nothing. Oh, well, I think it's just the hair. Um, <laughs> But there's nothing that replaces in person or you know networking at all. So um, that's that's a great tip too, uh, Coca. I appreciate that one. Listen, I am going to uh, I'm gonna let you go. I am going to make sure that the audience knows to find you at Coca Sexton everywhere, and I want them to go and check out the uh, spera. And uh, this this freedom economy that they are empowering Uh, brandboostcast.com forward slash freedom uh, 30 day free trial. There, it's actually early access too. I know that it's not really a public, uh, public yet, but for those that are listening to the Freedom Economy series, whether it's myself or Amy Schmidauer's video series, uh, that's also part of that. Uh, you know, you can get in on on that and and kind of build. It's it's a platform built by free or for freelancers by freelancers, and it's helping you manage your clients' tasks, invoices, everything like that. Collect your money, which is the biggest uh, factor when you go on your own and uh, using your talent to make that money rather than having to get, you know, to worry about everything that we just talked about because that's the biggest hang up. So Coca, I thank you for uh, taking this little journey with me today and and talking a little bit more about what you're doing now, what you've done and, and why you made those decisions. I think it's so important to hear these stories. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll check back in with you, follow up uh, down the road and see how Social Selling Labs is doing and see what you learn along your journey.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And uh, you know, thank you again for the opportunity to do this. Um, and to all the listeners, uh, if there's any, ever, ever any way that I can help you out or any advice I can give, just give me a hug.
0: That is the nicest thing you can do for for everyone, Coco, because your knowledge is is massive. So uh, I'm thank you for that. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost Podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to BrandBoostCast.com forward slash subscribe.